0: Cities nationwide. Call this toll-free number now to see how to get this free information. The information includes a form for confidentiality and to record and date your idea. Plus materials that explain how to try to submit your idea to companies.
1: I went out walking through streets paved with gold. I win one.
2: of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who cannot watch Heart of the Matter on television, they can go to www.hotm.tv and they can watch it from anywhere, live streaming video in the world. So I hope you check that out. I Was a Born Again Mormon is available for you uh, through download. Did it fall? Is it not on? It, huh? We're having a, a minor technical disaster right now. See, this is why I get paid the big bucks, because I forget to turn my microphone on. Uh, I'm sorry, but I believe it's on. It's good? Oh, these technical people are so difficult. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, I was a Born Again Mormons, available for PDF download at www.bornagainmormon.com. Go there, if you don't have a computer and you're waiting on a hard copy of the book, they'll be available soon. This October, Thursday, October 15th in Orange, California at Ex-Mormons for Jesus. I'll be speaking at 7 p.m. for you Southern California uh, people. Love to see ya. So, uh, Put that on your calendar if you're in the Southern California area and want to come get some sleep while I talk to that audience. In less than four weeks, we'll be airing our third Alethea Ministries television production, The Gray Generation. It's going to air for the first time live on Saturday night, Halloween, October 31st. Tell your family and friends it's a show aimed at the showing the flip side of today's cultural depredations that are heaped upon our teenagers. We're going to go and speak to those issues clear. There is nothing that would be too sacred, touchy, taboo that we're not going to address head on. So join us. We're also going to take live calls from all over once that gets rolling. Here's an introduction if you want to see to the great generation. Well, welcome. Tonight's going to go down as one of our technical. Technically, astute shows. All right. Last week, uh, we got to talk with a highly emotional LDS man. I think he was actually weeping when he came on. His whole premise was, one, Jesus would never, ever pick on another religion or their religious views. And two, Mormonism never never picks on other religions. After some serious give and take, he sort of crumbled into a state of rabid histrionics, and I hung up on him. His... uh, When he addressed that Jesus never attacked anybody or anyone, I asked him what Jesus called the Sadducees and Pharisees, and uh, he didn't say vipers, and we just used that as a pretext for uh, exactly how Jesus talked to people who were enemies of the cross. And then I partially responded to his cries about Mormonism, never saying anything bad about anyone ever. Then in the face of my responses, his hysteria escalated. Well, for the record, I wanna review quickly what Mormonism has actually said or done against religions, especially Christianity, since its beginning. Are you ready? Joseph Smith said in repeating his first vision that God told him, and this is a quote, that all the professors of religions were corrupt and that all their creeds were an abomination in his sight, end quote. This statement is uh, foundational to the LDS church, And it was here that Mormonism drew first blood against Christianity. That was in 1820. Joseph Smith then wrote in the Book of Mormon, 1 Nephi 14.10, listen to this quote. There are only two churches only. The one is the Church of the Lamb of God, which the LDS say is Mormonism, and the other church is of the devil. Wherefore, whosoever belongeth not to the church of the Lamb of God belongeth to that great church, which is the mother of all abominations, and she is the whore of all the earth. So from the founding prophet's own mouth and their most sacred scripture, we can hear the attitude Mormonism has had about Christianity from the beginning. We are of the devil. From this foundation, the attitude flourished Brigham Young said quote "The people called Christians are shrouded in ignorance and read the scriptures with darkened understanding Journal of discourses 7333 there are many 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 more quotes like this in LDS from LDS leaders over time then we go to BYU professor Bob Millett, a professor of ancient scripture at Brigham Young University he was caught on a secret videotape from his class stating that the young Freshmen and sophomore students in his class know more about Jesus Christ than all the Christian community combined. Now I want you to know, today my assistant and I, we searched everywhere to find that quote and miraculously, every time you see it, you click on it, uh, it comes up and says this is the, a copyright infringement of the BYU uh, Ancient Scripture Department and is not available at this time. They've completely removed that from the internet but it was there and i think somebody probably has it in their archives i can personally attest being lds for 40 years of the pervasive mockery of all christianity behind closed doors of their meetings what about their sacred temples well going all the way from the time i was going through till till back to 1844 satan is portrayed as in a film as being the employer of a protestant pastor And he pays the Protestant pastor to uh, teach his gospel, Satan's. LDS missionaries who have ever gone out into the world to knock on doors 24-7 for two years first go through the LDS temple to receive this indoctrination. And what do the LDS missionaries do when they... Uh, 65,000 strong in the world today, men, women, and couples. What do they say to people when they are investigating Mormonism? They tell them what Joseph Smith was told. They tell them that other churches are not true, that the other churches, if asked, cannot get them to heaven, and that the other churches have abominable creeds. If you get a real honest missionary, they'll tell you that uh, Christianity is in the employment of the devil, and they'll read from the Book of Mormon. They teach the same foundational things Joseph Smith taught. They teach the book what the Book of Mormon says, and they teach that the biblical Christianity is corrupt. Uh, this tacitly makes every single conversation you have with a Latter-day Saint an affront and attack on their part. Uh, uh, and it reveals their abiding disdain for Christianity. Um, other faiths that are not their own. Finally, as the coup de gras of all religious insults, the LDS disregard the faith so many people live and take to their grave, and they baptize people of other faiths once they're dead. So we not only have them attacking us while we're alive, attacking us while we're in our churches, attacking us while we're reading our Bible, attacking us through their temple, attacking us through the Book of Mormon, they come and they get our relatives who are honest, good Christians for their entire life, and then they use their name vicariously in those temples and baptize them into Mormonism. Uh, You know, it's such a repulsive practice that a group of incensed Jews came to the LDS church and said, don't baptize our Holocaust victims knock it off. And that was a big public thing. I think every single Christian denomination should stand up and demand the same protection of their ancestors. I mean, from their origins to their prophets, to their temples, to their missionaries, to their college professors, to uh, Mormonism itself, it's been nothing but an attack on Christianity. Mormonism never attack or condemn people of other faith. Their sole doctrine and practice is to do just that. With that, let's petition the Lord to calm me down. (laughs) Lord, we love you and need you. I need you, our audience, live audience and viewing audience here in Utah, Idaho, and throughout the world through the different means. We all need you. We pray you will bless those who are searching. Open their eyes to our topic tonight. And as we talk with each other over the phone, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this past week was LDS General Conference Many things were said. I want to comment on three of the things that were said. Two, I'm going to comment on tonight. One, I will comment on next week. The first one I want to comment on tonight is from Sister Ann Dibb. And the second is from Jeffrey Holland, who they call an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ann Dibb, who is a second counselor in the Young Women's General Presidency for the LDS Church, and who also happens to be Thomas S. Monson's daughter, spoke... It's kind of funny that out of 13 million members, the best person for the position as counselor in the general young women's presidency happens to be the LDS president's own daughter. But according to LDS belief, God himself called her to that position, uh, so whatever. <laughs> anyway, Sister Ann Dib told a story about some Canadian construction workers who, according to the Salt Lake Tribune article that reviewed her talk, were left on the underside of a bridge after choosing not to wear their safety equipment. The Trib article said Dib then compared that situation to contemporary dangers of life, and then she said, quote, the challenges and the dangers we live with today, including society's tolerance of sin, are just as precarious and real as the threat of falling 125 feet to certain death from a high bridge. I might agree with that. But then she said, God has provided, quote, the safety equipment needed to make it through mortality. Now, this is a religion that claims to be Christian. If you asked a Christian, what has God provided to help you make it through this mortal by? The first thing out of their mouth would be, in all probability, I we did not practice this, what would it be, audience? Jesus. I, we didn't prompt it, I didn't do it, I promise you, okay? Now, all across, whoever's watching this show, they would say the same thing if they're Christian. Well, Sister Dibslist List said, these are the things. Personal prayer, scriptures, living prophets, meaning my daddy, and the Holy Ghost. No Jesus, no Jesus, no Jesus. Now, living prophet, her dad, he's mentioned, but no Jesus, Okay. She had an opportunity before millions of people claiming to be Christian that these are the things God has given us and she revealed her heart. She didn't put him in. Uh, It didn't happen because no matter how much they claim that they are Christian and that they love him, he is always, I always say he's a footnote to the religion. Jesus made it possible for me to now perfect myself in the flesh and then the little sins I commit, he made it possible for me to receive forgiveness. This is how they view him because they are the author and finisher of their faith. But then we get to the mother of all October 2009 general conference quotes. It is so insipid, so indulgent, so full of inane logic that an entire book could be written to refute it. I'm not kidding. It comes from the man the LDS call an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, no different than Peter, James, John, Paul. On Monday, October 15th, the Salt Lake Tribune reported that speaking of the Book of Mormon, Holland said, quote, For 179 years, this book has been examined and attacked, denied and deconstructed, targeted and torn apart, like perhaps no other book in modern religious history. Perhaps like no other book in any religious history. And it still stands. He continued, if anyone is foolish enough or misled enough to reject 531 pages of a heretofore unknown text teeming with literary and Semitic complexity without honestly attempting to account for the origin of those pages, such persons, elect or otherwise, have been deceived and if they leave this church, they must do so by crawling over or around or under the Book of Mormon to make their exit. Before we go to the phones, let me throw up and then address this line by line. Holland said, listen, for 179 years, this book has been examined and attacked, denied and deconstructed, targeted and torn apart like perhaps no other book in modern religious history, perhaps like no other book in any religious history, and it still stands. Can I add that for 237 years, the story of the Loch Ness Monster has been examined and attacked, denied and deconstructed, targeted and torn apart, perhaps like no other Loch Ness Monster story in modern secular history perhaps like no other lake monster story in all of secular history, and it still stands. Let me remind every single viewer out there, it is impossible to prove a negative to be untrue. You cannot prove a negative false. Why? Because there's no evidence to corroborate the falseness. How can you begin with a myth? How can you, when you start with a myth, then prove by evidence that it is false. How can you prove that Santa does not exist? How can you prove there is no tooth fairy? Let's just pretend that all the nations in the world throw a bunch of money into a pot and they pay for the excavation of the entire state of New York where Joseph Smith said much of the Book of Mormon happened. And they sift through trillions of tons of earth in search for some archeological piece that will confirm the Book of Mormon historicity. Even though they will, I can assure you, find absolutely nothing. The LDS people can still say, but that doesn't mean they miss something. That doesn't mean they pass something over. The myth lives on. This is why you can't prove a false story false if it is thing. Let me ask you, where is Jerusalem? Bethlehem, the Jordan River, Judea, the Dead Sea, Golgotha, Calvary, even the salt pillars of Sodom. Now, where is Zarahemla, a city, a big, huge metropolis of the Book of Mormon? The temples the Nephites built. Show me a stone, just a stone, anywhere in the world. They had a major battle where millions died on the Hill Cumorah, right behind Joseph Smith's house. He happened to live there, and behind it is where it took place millions died can't we go and dig somewhere up there it's protected known by the church now but can't we just dig up a bone a single coin the the auntie which they called or can't we dig up the bones of a curlom, which is what joseph smith called some of these i mean and this comparison is only the tip of the icebergs of a giant unprovable myth called the book of mormon and every single criticism against the bible which it has received far more point-by-point criticisms than the Book of Mormon. It has proven itself real, based on history, based on actual events. Holland's hyperbolic hysterics about the Book of Mormon being, quote, examined and attacked, denied, deconstructed, uh, targeted, torn apart, like perhaps no other book in modern religious history, perhaps like no other book in any religious history, is not only laughable, it's a clear example of this LDS leader attempting to make his subjective Mormon uh, worldview uh, a worldwide fact. He speaks as though if he believes that, then the whole world would believe it. Just think about this. Um, The Book of Mormon torn apart like no other book in religious history, he's got to be joking. Does he realize, does he have any idea how many billions of people have taken the Bible and tried to deconstruct it? How many critics of the Bible around the world, you go to places, they don't know what the Book of Mormon is. They've never heard of it. We're talking about a 13 million member church. We're talking about a billion Christians. We're talking about Muslims who have attacked the Bible. We are talking about everybody who has attacked the Bible. And he says perhaps the Book of Mormon has been attacked more than any other religious history. The man is insane. He's deluded and he is making you think deluded thoughts. Now, it's actually egocentrism and uh, fictitious persecution. about the church, they want to say they've been persecuted beyond, anybody, beyond anyone else because that feeds the fodder of belief. They want you to think that they have been persecuted more than anyone else. How many Mormons have died through all the persecution? How many? 10, 20, 30, 50 maximum. 50 maximum killed for their religion. How many Christians? Millions. Fox's Book of Martyrs, read it. The comparison is a non-event but they keep this alive that their little book has been attacked and, and viewed. But let's say that it were scrutinized this way, and it was. It's still, the fact remains, you cannot prove a negative false. And so it doesn't matter how much attacking it has, you can't prove that it's false because there's no evidence to prove otherwise. Then he subtly uses, he slips into some intimidation. He says, if anyone is foolish enough to mislead or misled enough to reject the Book of Mormon. If anyone is foolish enough or misled enough to reject the Book of Mormon, what is this self-proclaimed apostle of Jesus saying? He's saying you are either a fool or you are misled if you reject the Book of Mormon. So all the scholars in history who have looked at it and renounced it, all the people who know their Bible, pick it up and read it and see it for the fraud that it is, All the people who once accepted it as kids, all the the stories that are in it, then go back and really truly examine it honestly and see that it's a fraud. They're all misled and blind, but all those people who blindly trust in it, in unsupported, plagiaristic, mythical contents of that book uh, that was written by a convicted con man who looked into a hat and stared at a rock and dictated the contents of the Book of Mormon, they are wise and inspired. It's unbelievable. Then Holland shows his logical infancy by referring to the book as three, 531 pages of a heretofore unknown text, as if the number of pages makes it more easier to believe in that it's the word of God. I can't believe it. He continues to go on to say, quote, that those who are foolish enough to reject the Book of Mormon, which he says is teeming with literary and Semitic complexity, with a, and these people who without honestly without an honest attempt to account for the origin of those pages. What he says is, if you leave this church without an honest attempt to examine the origin of these pages. Well, I, J- Brother Holland, Jeffrey Holland, I want to make an honest examination of those 531 pages now in some summary bullet points, okay? First of all, the, the Book of Mormon taps into and emphasizes many 19th century religious themes that the Christian sects at the time uh, had as popular themes. They were a need for spiritual rebirth, very popular during the burned over district of New York. The Trinity and a few other concepts on the ontology of God which Joseph Smith examined in the Book of Mormon, which present day Mormonism does not follow or believe. The incarnation of God as Jesus was a popular theme, still is today. Missionary zeal revivalistic worship themes were all through the burned over district of Joseph Smith's time, like clapping hands during services. The Book of Mormon includes those things. Divine healings, baptism of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ crucified, traditional Virgin Mary theology, the law of Moses, all part of that uh, theology of the time. So those things are normative. So the Book of Mormon does carry traditional, Uh, Christian themes throughout. The Book of Mormon also teaches and expounds upon a variety of common 19th century cultural themes, which were popular among the Christian restorationists at the time. Now, Christian Restorationists were men and women who believed that the primitive church of Jesus Christ was uh, lost and it needed to be restored. That's why they were part of the Restorationist movement. Joseph Smith's family were definitely Restorationists when he was a very small boy all the way up to a young man, especially his father, his grandfather, and his Uncle Jesse. Popular Restorationist platforms found in the Book of Mormon include a rejection of paid clergy, titles, and denominationalism. A rejection of Calvinistic theology. All these themes are found in the Book of Mormon. A church using only the name of Jesus Christ found as a theme in the Book of Mormon. A belief that God's kingdom was to be established in America, which was a very popular theme at the time, a process known as building Zion, also in the Book of Mormon. A rejection of all Christian creeds a belief in an apostasy and a need for a reformation, a faith and works doctrine, a focus on sequential acts that lead to salvation, a frontier-based spirit of reliance, a restitution of tithing, a refocus on Sabbath day activities, a need for the Bible to be retranslated, a repulsion of secret societies and combinations like the Masons. Throughout the Book of Mormon, you find this anti-Masonic uh, theme that runs throughout. Of course, later on, after the Book of Mormon was written, Joseph Smith embraced uh, Uh, Those themes and incorporated them into the temple ceremony. An agrarian attitude was huge among where Joseph Smith lived, among the Christians who lived there, and the Book of Mormon takes that agrarian, agrestic, that living off the land, work with your own hands theme, and he incorporates it right into the text. All of these themes are woven in uh, into the contextual framework of the Book of Mormon. Then many other themes of the Book of Mormon come from a variety of other sources available to Joseph Smith and his family at the time. You see references in the Book of Mormon from the Apocrypha, especially, particularly, from the Book of Maccabees. You see James Adair's History of the American Indians, themes there, found throughout the Book of Mormon. Josephus' War of the Jews, found in the Book of Mormon. Ethan Smith's View of the Hebrews, found there. An article from the October 22nd, 1823, Wayne Sentinel newspaper, Found in the Book of Mormon. Solomon Spalding's manuscript found. The preface to the King James Version of the Bible printed in 1769, part of the Book of Mormon. The Golden Bible, the Golden Pot by Edda Hoffman, uh, uh, also in the Book of Mormon. Which, uh, which Elder or Apostle Holland says this book teeming with literary and semitic complexity shows it is also teeming with several he doesn't show that it's also teeming with several hundred direct plagiarism from the uh, King James Version of the Bible. So we're going to wrap it up by talking about this. My respected friend and scholar, Michael Marquart, who has probably, probably the most uh, renowned scholar on Joseph Smith, examined the Book of Mormon for anachronistic difficulties. Now, anachronistic, an anachronism, I've explained this before, would be like if I said, Hey, everybody, I found this book in my backyard, and it comes from ancient Egypt. And, you know, in fact, let me read to you. Microsoft, McDonald's, whatever. Whatever. You know, the Beatles and their mop tops, and that's an anachronism. When you have words that are placed in a text that's supposed to be ancient, but the words are really relatively new. Well, um, unfortunately, Joseph Smith did this all over the Book of Mormon. He used words that were Greek that had not been developed yet because the Greek language hadn't even occurred yet, according to his time frame of when it was supposed to be said. He has Greek words in there that could not possibly be in there. So how could they be in that text? Let me give you one example, all right? I, don't, I think we might have this. All right, look on the, on the screen. First Nephi 2.18 says, gives the line, and also 7.8, being grieved because of the hardness of their hearts. And then Mark 3.5 also says, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, okay? Now, if you read these sentences from the King James Version, the Greek says, Sulopoimae epi poressa cardia atun," And if you don't transliterate that into English, the Greek actually reads, uh, Grieved for hard hearts of there." That's how it would read. Now, in the King James, King James, he gathered translators in 1611 and he said, Take this Greek from the Koine and put it into an English language. You can translate those words around. King James 16.11 has these scholars put this in that way. Joseph Smith's quote of that is used in 1 Nephi, which was supposed to be 600 years before the Greek language ever would have occurred. The only way that that could have occurred is if the Holy Spirit was speaking pre-Jesus to the people 600 years before the Greek language was, and he was speaking to them in Greek. So I know it's a concept you don't want to get. Let me give you another one. The name Timothy. Timothy is in the Book of Mormon. It's a Greek name. It could not have been on the ancient Americas, and the ancient Americans would not have called one of their people Timothy. But Joseph Smith did. These anachronisms, there are hundreds of them, are all through the Book of Mormon. Holland finishes his statement by saying that those who reject the Book of Mormon or such persons, and he says, elect or otherwise, this is a threat have been deceived and if they leave this church, they must do so by crawling over or around or under the Book of Mormon to make their exit. Well, if anyone leaves Mormonism, they will as fools or deceived individuals, have to circumvent what Hollins is saying is a concrete, immovable, non-contestable book called The Book of Mormon. I would suggest that the LDS leaders are using very strong but empty and completely arguable words to threaten people. They're getting scared. They are starting to see their own members say... I don't think I believe in this Book of Mormon anymore. The stuff is out on the internet, and Holland was laying down the law. He's saying it's this most perfect book and all this junk. We just gave you a laundry list of the reasons the thing is so fallible. You can't do the same thing to the Bible. Read that book, folks. With that, let's open up our phone lines, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. And while our operators are clearing the calls, please take a minute and watch a little thing about our Partners program. Hi, I'm Sean McCraney with Alathea Ministry, producer of Heart of the Matter. We exist solely on the support of those who appreciate our efforts at reaching others with the saving message from Jesus Christ. We want to invite you, if you're so inclined, to come alongside with us, partner with us financially. Now, all Uh, support and prayers are greatly appreciated, but Heart of the Matter Partners, or HOTM Partners, has been carefully designed to supply support for Aletheia Ministries, long-term sustainability, without burdening individuals too much. On your screen is an address. You can write to partners there, ask information, whatever you want to do, we'll send you a brochure. Also, if you're interested, you can check us out at www.hotm.tv. Additionally, you can call us, 1-888-868-4686. All prayers, all support are appreciated. God bless you. See you Tuesdays. Welcome back. We're going to go to Ronnie and Tooele, a first-time caller. Ronnie, you're on Heart of the Matter.
3: Hi, Sean. How are you?
2: Doing well. How are you doing?
3: my voice is kind of cracky but i just wanted to hurry and tell you i just wanted to say god bless it's awesome to see that he that he pulled you out of the darkness thanks and second of all my husband is LDS, and we've been married now for almost four years Uh uh-huh and he actually just from me reading different scripts in the bible showing him the truth because i'm a christian Uh he has actually turned the other direction too and is starting to see and a ton of help and thanks to you for your show because it's actually helping you even more.
2: Praise God. Thanks so, so I, much, Ronnie. I want to tell
3: you, praise God you're on fire. It's awesome to see somebody coming out boldly with the truth. So,
2: hey, thanks God so much. God bless you, man. God bless. Thank you. All right, bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Douglas and Mapleton. <laughs> Douglas, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi,
0: Sean. Uh, I just wanted to uh, let you know that I appreciate your show and that uh, the talk that Brother Holland gave Sunday, turned my stomach also. Oh, good. But that's not, but that's not the reason I called. The Done. reason I called is I went to uh, a fasting testimony meeting, which uh, you might be familiar with. Yeah. And not one, not one of the people there gave any praise to Jesus or to God. It was all about me or how I did this or how the family did this or how the bishop or take president or how so-and-so influenced me but jesus never came up the whole time i was there and uh, it's amazing isn't it christian for a couple years yeah it is amazing and it just it really turns your stomach to think that i would have punched you in the nose a couple years ago thinking that we were christian but we're not not even close yeah
2: well that's awesome douglas you know uh what, in your opinion, you you have an LDS. What do you think the reason is that Jesus is always left out? Well, looking into it now, it is because it is
0: a people person church. Mm-hmm. It is an earthbound church. Yeah. It has nothing to do with Jesus,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I can see that because the. You know, the bounds of the church have been taken from my eyes, and so I can see that now. But before, it was, you know, it was all, well, we're the Church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints. And so, you know, I would have thought I was a Christian, but in no means are Mormons
2: Christians, not at all. Right. Great call, Um, Douglas. Thanks so much. You're welcome. God bless. Bye-bye. You know, people often ask uh, through email or calls, whatever, what do I think, my opinion, for whatever it's worth, is, would happen with the LDS church. And my heart has always been that it would come to its doctrinal knees, uh, like uh, Armstrong's church did, and uh, flip when uh, that one guy took over. Um, but uh, I don't think so anymore. I, I believe they are going to become a world power. And I believe they have the money, they have the resources, and they are humanists to the core. If you ever go outside their temples, you'll see many things pointing up, like the wrought iron fences. They all point up. The spires are point up. Everything. And what that is, those are symbols of the elevation of man. And it's you becoming better and better and better and ultimately reaching godhood. So that appeals to the soul, the suke. When they do their communion, which they call the sacrament, they, they do it to all the souls who partake of it. Now, I don't think that's, I, they don't say to all the spirits, they say to all the souls. And, and I know we use those terms interchangeably, but the soul is a combination of your mind, your will, and your heart, your emotions. And so their sacrament is to the soul, you know. Next week when we cover the other unbelievable conference thing, it is... It is a little preface to it, it's going to be uh, what Thomas S. Monson asked for for his birthday. And we're gonna show you uh, some footage from that. And you're gonna see how this man, who they call the prophet. First of all, Isaiah (laughs) would never have a birthday party, okay? (laughs) And second of all, you know, what he asks and then how he says they've done this for me, for me, me, me. You know, that's what it's about. People often say, how does smart men and women get involved in this? Well, how? It totally plays to their pride. When you are on your way to being God, when you have your nucleus family and it's focused on family and you're together. And, you know, family is strong, but it becomes their God. Everything And my my answer to uh, the question to our last caller is the reason Jesus is always at a, takes a back seat is because their salvation is a combination of grace and works which are just incompatible. They're oil and water according to Paul. But they have a grace and works thing which ultimately means works. They have to work and so Jesus just makes it possible they have to do the work and so he always takes a back seat. When they get these criticisms, they come out and they try to be more Christian. They want to be more good. There's a headline in the Salt Lake Tribune. and I think it said, Monson urges Christian, uh, Mormons to appear Christian at all times. And I want to tell Monson, it's not about appearance, Monson. It's about being, you see? Okay, so we're going to David and Layton on line four. David, you're on Heart of the Matter.
4: Oh, hello. Is this Sean? Yes. Hi. Uh, thank you for taking my call. appreciate it very much. You're welcome. Yeah, to, uh, get, to, to get to my point, um, I'm a, I've been a member of the Church all my life, and uh, I've got a long history of, in the Church and my family. It goes way back to the pioneers on both sides. Uh-huh. And uh, just, uh, I kind of woke, woke up to the reality of the uh, the, the reality is a few years ago, and I wanted to share with your viewers kind of one of the earth-shattering moments for me, which was uh, when I was being a good Mormon and doing my, working on my genealogy, I uh, came across uh, my great-great-great grandfather, John William Hess who was a uh, stake president of Davis County, uh, huh. of course, also the mayor of Davis County, and was a colonel in the Mormon militia. And uh, anyway, John had seven wives, and the seventh of which, he was 51 when he married her, and she was 15, and uh, she was also his niece. Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, you know, and I, I thought that might be something worth sharing with your viewers, because I th- I don't think, I think that, uh, for me, that really brought things home, because for one thing, that side of my family is, a. Uh, complete
5: disaster it's a it's an absolute mess and that's helped me understand why yeah and uh and I I think that it that it wouldn't I think that, it,
4: that a large number of uh, LDS members could do the same thing and look at their own history yeah. and they could find these same branches in their tree and then take a
2: hello are you still there yeah oh my phone I thought my phone died uh, I look
4: at and they could take a close look at that state of their family yeah and uh, and uh might hit home to them.
2: Great call, David. Thanks so much. Good advice. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye. You know, if you're LDS, open up your Bible, go to your topical guide and look up the word genealogy and see what it has to say about genealogies in the uh, Old Testament, in the New Testament. Now, I want to explain something to you really quickly. We have uh, Josh and Beth waiting, but listen, let me explain something to you. Genealogies were very, very important to the Jews because through their genealogy, they were able to show Aaronic, uh, lineage. They were able to show they had the right to be priests. And they had the right to go into the temple and do the sacrifices and whatever that called for. Those were all so very important. But what happened was when all of that culminated and all of those genealogical records, they were kept in the temple in Jerusalem. Solomon's, te- I mean, it's not Solomon's temple, uh, Herod's. And they were all there, okay? And then Jesus comes. And Hebrews tells us that he's our, our final, high priest, that the priesthood is is culminated. It's finished in him. He's the author and finisher of our faith, not us, not a priesthood. And so what happened was 70 years AD, Titus comes in and he burns that temple to the ground, which is hard to burn stone, but they took it apart and they burned everything else. And all those genealogical records, God allowed, which had been kept for 1500 years or maybe a little bit less, destroyed, gone. Okay. Mormonism has resurrected this old lineal line of priesthood and made it their own. And it's a false priest and it's tied to masonry and a bunch of other things. So when they talk about the, look up genealogy and you'll see that what Paul says about it. He says, don't get caught up in endless genealogies. You go down to Temple Square, what do you see? Hundreds of people spending their retirement years doing genealogy so they can do temple work so that you can get in. In order to do the temple work, you got to pay the 10% tithing to get in and do it and save your dead. And it's just a whole system of business. Okay, let's go to Josh in Salt Lake City. Josh, you're on Heart of the Matter.
1: Hey, Sean. Uh, My girlfriend's family, they're Mormon. She's on her way to being a Christian. Uh, Her family has been giving us problems for a while. Uh, the three of us were talking about it at Burning Heart 09, where I was baptized.
2: Oh, awesome. Uh,
1: thank you. Um, recently, her family supposedly um, found that I was fired from a job that I had a while ago by questionable means. Uh, and now the stepmother, who's been the biggest voice and the biggest problem in the family, one of them, now is has uh, turned turn sides and now wants to help us and I don't trust that. Um, what do you think and what's your advice?
2: Dude, man, I don't know. I Family matters are really wild. Some families are super supportive. Sometimes family members change. They can be against you. Maybe God steps in and softens their heart. They can help you. Sometimes the, the dividers, because of religion, or other opinions get broken down within families and love can exist. So in your circumstance, I couldn't tell you. I don't know. All I know is the best thing for you and your girlfriend or spouse to be, whatever she is, is to, is to exhibit love. And to constantly exhibit love the way Jesus tells us to, uh, to your family members. And that's the best advice I can give you, all things considered. Okay. All right. I hope that helps, Josh. God bless you, my friend. God bless Take care. Bye-bye. We're going to Beth in Taylorsville. Beth, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello? Hello, Beth. You got to turn your TV down. I
5: beg your pardon?
2: You have to turn your TV down.
5: I can't hear you. I'm sorry. I still have Sean on.
2: Uh, this is Sean, Beth. Beth, Beth, this is Sean. Turn your TV down.
5: Oh, okay.
2: Take I'm next? So- you're, you're on the air. Beth?
5: Beth,
2: Yeah? You're on the air. Turn your TV down.
5: Hello, Sean.
2: How Hi, Beth. It just got to her. Oh,
5: just a minute. Just, just a minute. A minute. Turn, I'll turn. turn.
2: Okay. I think that's my grandma. They're all the same. I... Yeah, I turned it off. Oh, good, good job. So what's happening, Beth? I'm
5: trying. I'm trying to get some people to start reading the Bible. They don't... I'm trying to get some
3: people, uh, they're related.
2: She didn't turn it off. Grandma's lying, too. (laughs) Is it off? I can still hear it, Beth.
5: I'm trying to get some people... I'm I'm trying to get some people to start...
2: Don't Hello. do it. I don't think you'll ever get through Axe. <laughs> Beth, I gotta let you go, my dear. We can't hear you. Thanks. Thanks for calling. Bye bye. All right, make sure you turn your TV down, you guys, because you won't be able, you'll be listening to yourself. It's too, there's a delay, yes. Michelle says there's a delay. Let's go to Mary in Ogden. Mary, you're on Heart of the Matter.
3: Hi, Sean. How are you? Doing well. How are you doing, Mary? I'm doing fine, but uh, you're talking to somebody else on
2: the TV. <laughs> I know.
3: <laughs> um, Sean, I'm a, I'm a Masonic Jew, and I wanted to ask you a question. Yes. Um, where did Marana, I've got to say this right, I don't want to insult anybody, Marana come from? Because I looked all through the Bible, and I couldn't find him in the Bible at all.
2: Yeah. Well, let me explain it to you, uh, Mary. Joseph Smith claimed that uh, a group of people came over from Jerusalem about 600 B.C. on boats to the Americas, and they split up into two nations, and long story short, they, one nation was white and delightsome, called the Nephites, and one was dark and loathsome, called the Lamanites, or the Indians, and they fought against each other, and in the end, in the final battle, there was a white guy named Moroni. And he took the records written on plates and he buried them. Uh, actually, he translated them and, and they, they were buried in a hill, okay, just to make it simple. So he was a character that Joseph Smith had in the Book of Mormon who lived on the American continent about uh, 400 years after A.D. And then he died and then the Lamanites, the dark race, took over the Americas and killed off all the Lamanites and they were left. Joseph Smith said Moroni came to him as an angel into his bedroom and told him where the plates were hidden. It was in a hill right behind, near his house. So Joseph went, and after a big long story, he got those plates. That's why they put the angel Moroni on the top of all their temples, blowing the trumpet. That's the angel that Joseph Smith said came to him and told him where the secret book was buried, in the hill near his home in New York. Does that help?
3: No. (laughs) he must have been eating psychedelic mushrooms that's just ludicrous
2: yeah it's pretty pretty ludicrous
3: well why didn't he take the the, if they were golden plates as broke as they were go out and spend that money I mean
2: God just Mary what what they did Joseph Smith was a treasure seeker with his dad he used to look in stones and tell people he could find treasure on their lots this is documented stuff It's proven. Well, he started started finding out that he wasn't making a good living at doing that. So he came up and he said, hey, we've got a religious book that I've found. And he wrote this religious book. It took seven years to put that book together. And we don't know how he did it or who he did it with, if he did it with anybody. It was full of grammatical errors. It was terrible language. But he produced a book and he switched from his skills of a con man trying to find buried treasure to a religious charlatan. And uh, he got a following. It was magical, strange times, and, and he got a following. And they began to develop, and that's how it happened.
3: I don't believe it was magical. I think it's pretty strange that these people believe that. I live in a building with 350 Mormons, and I'm the only masonic Jew here, and the Lord has given me a lot of patience to to try to talk with them. Every day I ask them if they're listening to Jesus, and they don't like me very much, but every day I ask them that. Wow. I, I also want to tell you, Sean, that you're doing a fabulous job of what you're doing, and and I see the Lord's hands upon your shoulders. Every time I watch your show, I tell everybody about your show. Thanks,
2: Mary. I, I
3: also, I... I'm, I'm going to just say one more thing. Yes. I want to warn people about giving out their maiden names. And these, these Mormons like to take pictures of you for baptism of the dead. They don't realize that they're cursed to hell the minute they do that. And shalom.
2: Shalom, Mary. Thank you so much.
3: We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Okay,
2: bye-bye. All right. Uh, we are going to Don in Salt Lake City, first-time caller. Don, you're on Heart of the Matter. Don? You've got to turn your TV down. Don? Don, are you there? Okay, we're going to come back to Don, put him on hold. We're going to go to John and Orem. John, you're on Heart of the Matter.
5: Hi, John. Hi, John. Oh, first time first time caller.
2: Yes, how are you?
5: Good, thank you. Um, I, in 1993, was excommunicated from the Mormon church. Uh-huh. And, um, I have been actually working to
0: get that excommunication overturned.
2: Wrongfully excommunicated. Yes. Awesome. Take it to him. What do you? How? What was the charge? And then, and then, what are you doing about it?
0: Uh, the charge was fornication.
2: And you never fornicated. Right. So, how are you going about uh, trying to get this reversed?
0: Following the processes of appeal.
2: Wow. And how's that going?
0: Well, I've been at
5: it for 16 years now.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know how you feel. You know, you're working against a multi billion dollar uh, worldwide organization, and they are just riddled with corporate talent. Good luck on anything legal.
1: Uh, I'm, Actually, in uh, conversations with the uh, lawyers.
2: Well, good. I hope it works out. Call us and let us know when you're successful. Okay. All right, my friend. Thanks for calling. All
0: right, take care.
2: Bye-bye. We're going to Don in Salt Lake City. Don, first-time caller, you're on Heart of the Matter. Don? Hey, is this Don? Yes. Yeah. You're on the air.
5: Oh really?
2: Yeah, you have to turn your you have to turn your TV okay, down. I did,
5: I did. I just turned it off. Okay. Hi, John. Uh, my question to you is: Do you have um, a recommendation uh, from one of your pre-recorded programs as to what I could uh, email to my brother, who's a Mormon, he's been through the temple, and. Uh, you know, my whole family was Mormon, but my mother gave up Mormonism, and we, we all, everybody went Christian except my brother, and I just know I've watched many of your shows, but I wondered if you have any particular program in mind of your pre-recredited shows that I could introduce to my brother the first time.
2: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reveal uh, my total unprofessional inadequacy right now, but I do the shows, and I, I never look back. I don't even know what they are. I, I couldn't tell you. I can barely tell you what we did last week. So I don't know. But they are all titled. And you might go through uh, the archives of 2006, 7, 8, and 9. And we've got 180 hour-long shows. And you can, you can just kind of pick and choose. But I, I may, this is telling me that we need to get this and have a top five to recommend to people. But right now, I have nothing. I don't know. Okay. I'm sorry. Sounds good. Okay.
5: That's okay. I know. I, it, so I was kind of hoping you could make it easier for me to choose because I've probably had all, all of them go through my computer at one time, and I've sat and watched you for hours and hours on end. So, <laughs> all I'll give it my best shot, and thank you, and you're doing a wonderful job.
2: Thanks so much. God bless. Bye-bye. We're going to Don in Salt Lake City. He's back. Don, you're on Heart of the Matter. choose, but I Don? Yes. You're on the air, man. Hey. Hi. Uh,
1: now uh, another question uh, regarding elder Holland yeah about the Book of Mormon yeah um, that is uh, you know I, I don't agree with him what, what he says says on that um, you know when you don't even, when, for him to say a statement like that when they don't even believe in the Book of Mormon they don't believe in the Trinity um, you know he's, he's, he's an idiot. Just like all the
2: other General Authorities are. <laughs> well, tell us what you really think there, Don. <laughs> you know, uh, what, just to let the audience know what he's talking about, is Joseph Smith's uh, teachings on the ontology of God, which means the makeup of God, it morphed and changed over time. In the Book of Mormon, as Don is bringing up, Joseph originally started teaching Trinitarian doctrine. That is what the Christians taught. That's what he was surrounded by. That's what he grew up to be. His mother was a Methodist. So he taught in the Book of Mormon Trinitarian doctrine. As he began to uh, de-evolve, I would say, but other people would say evolve in his uh, theology, he began to then separate, and then he only talked about a uh, 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 bipartite, God of Jesus and the Father. Then he started talking about a tripartite separate of uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, separate and distinct individuals. At that time, his version of the first vision, when he says when he was 14-year-olds he saw God, changed. The first visions corresponded to his view of a singular God. The second versions began to adapt, and then he came out with his official version about 12 years later after the original uh, version happened. So the man is, was constantly evolving, changing. Some Mormons think that's a beautiful thing. That's why they're willing to say, we believed in polygamy at one time, now we don't. That's why a, their doctrine is a slippery slope, because you can answer it correctly on, on actual polarized sides of the argument and be right in either case, because they have taken polarized approaches. It's a very tough uh, church to get around. So, what he's saying, and then finally, Joseph Smith got to the point where he and the King Follett Discourse, which was a funeral that he spoke at in 1844, and it wasn't but seven months later, he was shot down in killed. He taught that God was once a man, that we can become gods and he had de-evolved uh, to that point where God was once the Trinity to the point where now we can become gods of our own world and he was once a man just like us and on it goes. So really good call Don, I really appreciate and,
1: it. Sean, one more, one more thing. Yeah. And, and the main reason why he was killed was because uh, the guys that, that, that had the paper there in Nauvoo he came out with that, that Joseph Smith was a, was a whoremonger and, and, and everything like that. And Joseph Smith burned down the, the
2: uh, printing press. The,
1: the printing press. And that's why he was rich. That's why he was killed.
2: Exactly. You're right. You're right. He broke one of the fundamental laws of a new America. And that was he, was, uh, he, he was, became a tyrant. And they left England to escape tyranny and to escape uh, any of those types of things. And when he destroyed the freedom of speech, that was enough for the mobs to say, we're taking you out. Hey, good call, Don. I really appreciate it. Oh, and one thing.
1: We have writings uh, in America that date back to 900-some B.C., which, is, which would be before what, what Lehi said, 600 B.C. Don't,
2: don't know about it. But you know what? we got three minutes left, and we got to go to Trent. He's LDS. Thanks, my friend. Okay. Bye-bye. Trent, you're on Heart of the Matter.
0: Hey, how you doing? Good, Trent. How are you? Great. Hey, you've, of course, opened my eyes a lot about the eldest religion. I'm hoping you could help bring
1: some clarity to one more question for me.
4: Sure. I'll try.
1: Briefly. <laughs> you briefly brought up the Lamanites, and we, you kind of talked about polygamy and how the LDS Church has believed, you know, all laws are eternal. And I guess my question is, African-American at one time were not able to hold the priesthood in this church. It seems like in years past now they flopped and kind of wondering
2: why. Uh, well, you know what, it's, it's good you asked that. Two things. One, we're going to be covering this because we're now leaving uh, polygamy in the history of the church and we're entering into the blacks and the priesthood and how that changed. But bottom line, uh, they were getting pressure. There was all kinds of things occurring. One, they were getting pressure, BYU's uh, sports teams were not playing them, Stanford University said, we are not going to compete with them, and it became a big thing in the news, that prefaced it. Uh, Secondly, they built a temple in Brazil, and and all the people in Brazil came together and put their money together to build this temple, and come to find out that most of them had black blood. And so, Spencer W. Kimball, he was like, we got to do something about that, so he received a revelation, and it said, hey... Blacks can now hold the priesthood. Now the interesting thing about blacks and the priesthood is the reason, according to Brigham Young and dating back through most, Mark E. Peterson, 1956, most LDS leaders all the way back then were always talking about how it was the curse of Cain. It was because Cain killed Abel, he received a black skin, a mark, and he roamed the earth a vagabond, okay? That black skin was passed on, passed on, passed on, passed on. Now they say that all worthy male members can hold the the, uh, priesthood of the LDS church. Therefore, they're saying that the black people are now worthy. So therefore, it would mean people who are now in black families being born should be white according to their doctrine because they're no longer with the curse of Cain because they can now righteously hold this priesthood. So it constantly is a, is a uh, conflagration of ideas that conflict with each other but they don't care. It's a really great call, Trent. We're going to cover Blacks in the Priesthood in depth in probably four or five parts coming up in the next month.
1: Oh, awesome. Thank you.
2: Hey, thank you. God bless you. You too, John. Take care. What do you say? Uh, Jesus is Lord. He is the way, truth, and the life. Philip came to him and said, show us the way. Uh, I mean, He just just said, show us the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thomas, excuse me, Thomas. He said, show us the way. And he said, I am the way, truth, and the life. It's him. He's not being mentioned by apostles. He doesn't get mentioned in their sacrament services. They aren't living in his heart. When he moves into you, he becomes the way of your life. That's how he's the way for you. He moves in and he becomes your way. You understand that? Not you anymore, him. That has to happen in the hearts of Latter-day Saints. We pray that it will, that you'll seek him in your privacy of your own bedroom. Ask him for spiritual rebirth. He'll give it to you. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.
1: I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, I'm gonna break my rusty cage and run. Mr. Spock.